Amen. Thank you, Rachel. And happy Mother's Day um, to our mothers, to um, motherly women here and nurturers. I uh, was sharing with the first service how I was also, I mean, just watching that video, you know, the prayers, reminder of my own mother. Um, you know, how she perhaps put up with me when I was little, little. I was one of those, you know, who could not stop asking why, why, why. And, you know, I was like, stop asking why. You know, and um, yeah, but I, uh, I love spending time with my mom and the way we do life now as adults as we have, we go for happy hour. That's how, yeah, we do that. Um, you know, the mother and daughter relationship now. No, but um, what a blessing it is um, to have mothers, those who nurture and um, the motherly women amongst us. So God bless you all. And um, also, peace of Christ to all of you, including those who have joined us online. I hope you are not too wet here. I heard it's still raining, is that right? Yeah, I think it might rain the whole day. Um, yeah, it's so wonderful to be here this morning. Um, and so excited, I'm so excited to um, get on with the Galatian series that Pastor Wei um, started us on last week. Um, Pastor Wei um, did five verses, the first five verses of Galatians last week. And he talked about how, um, having been rescued from old creation, we are free to live into the new creation on the basis of God's grace, sheer grace alone. And this week, we're going to look at the next little chunk, verses 6 to 12 from chapter 1. Now, if you have not read... Galatians through once through um, in one sitting, I would highly encourage you to do that um, simply because this is a letter, right? And you don't try to get the meaning of a letter by reading one verse, right? And so it's, it's just like if someone were to send you an email or a letter, you know, you usually would try to finish reading it, you know, instead of doing 10 lines today, 10 lines tomorrow, ten lines today. So, so yeah, if you have the time to, um, to try to do that, and let's go to the text now. So I'll be reading from Galatians 1, 6 to 12. Okay. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human, of not, not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, 
Rather, I received it from, by revelation from Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we are all seated here in this place, all because of who you are, your grace towards us, that we can be here, that we can have this community to call family. We thank you for your word, God, that guides us um, in our lives. We thank you that you, you cause whatever, um, all that Paul has written in this letter to be recorded for us. We thank you that your word is the light unto our path. Speak now, Lord. Um, let your word speak. And may you prepare our hearts, O oh God, as we, um, as we dig into your word, Lord. Amen. I'm sorry I noticed that I did not switch slide for you, but can you? <laughs> so, I don't know how you feel about the tone of the passage that we just read. Would you say it's friendly? No, right? So, so it's a little bit like this. So Pastor Wei talked, you know, talked about the first five verses um, last week of like, you know, just simple greetings. And then Paul skips what he normally does. Normally he would do like a Thanksgiving section. He totally skips that Thanksgiving section and goes straight into the subject matter. So, so the passage that we have just read, 6 to 12, um, is like, you know, a thesis statement. You guys know what thesis statement is? So what it does, it, it sets out the main idea of the letter, you know, um, um, just so you know what's coming. And, and he will go on to flesh out, you know, what he's talking about here in the passage later in the rest of the letter. But, you know, this is such a forceful thesis statement. I, there's a lot of feelings there, um, strong feelings and strong words too. And do you know what? This is not the only place that you can find that. This whole intensity, this forcefulness, it continues through the letter. You, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, says Paul in chapter 3, verse 1. And you know what else he, he says somewhere along the line? In 5.12, he wishes that those troublemakers would go the whole way and castrate themselves. Who talks like that? So something is going on here, serious stuff. And we are going to unpack the passage together in a moment. But before that, um, we're going to take a few minutes to zoom in on what's really at issue here in this letter so we can make better sense of why Paul is responding the way that he's responding. See, although this letter um, that we call Galatians is a rather short letter, but there's so much in there. It is packed with dense theological content, and it is actually very easy to get lost um, in how Paul uh, tries to weave his argument um, especially if we don't know what Paul is responding to. So I gave the example earlier that, um, you know how sometimes you get invited to a WhatsApp group chat halfway through? Like people have been talking in the chat for a while already, and then you're invited and then you join. And then, because and then, you, you can't see the history, you know. Um, 
but you can see what's popping up, like, um, and you feel like, oh, someone seems upset here. Why? You don't know because you can't see those history. And so it's a little bit like that. You know, there's something going on here that Paul knows, the people that he's writing to, they know, we might not. You know, so um, let's start with what's at issue here. Um, so to make our reading of the letter easier. At issue in this letter, oops, sorry, is that now that the Gentiles have believed, must they, to be fully Abraham's heirs, observe the Jewish law? Let me repeat that. Now that Gentiles have believed, must they, to be fully Abraham's heirs, observe the Jewish law? See, Paul founded the Galatian church, you know, um, consisting of mostly Gentile believers in the beginning. Later on, Paul left. Some Jewish believers, they came along and they were like, what? You guys are not circumcised? Um, you know, and then they were like, whoa, how can this be? And so Pastor Wade touched on this briefly last week when he was giving us an introduction to the book of Galatians, where he said that Paul wrote to the Galatian church because the Jewish Christians were insisting that the Gentile Christians keep the Jewish law so that they can be fully accepted. And by keeping the law, I mean, you know, it does require men to be circumcised. It does require that you stick to certain dietary restrictions. There are some foods that you can't eat. And I mean, for us, most of us know that you can't have bacon. So, but, but why though? Why, why are the Jewish Christians here so insistent on getting the Gentile Christians to keep the Jewish law? Are they... Are they thinking that, oh, oh, we need to get the Gentile Christians safe so they should keep the Jewish law? No. Gentile Christians, Jewish Christians, both sides are believers. They both believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is very important for us to note because this is not something that is, this is not an argument between um, believers and non-believers. This is something that's happening within the church between people who are already believers. So the reason, the reason why the Jewish Christians are so insistent, well, because for them, you can only be considered a full member of God's family if you are a true heir of Abraham. Heir of Abraham, a child, children of Abraham, offspring of Abraham. You know, that, that may sound strange to some of us because we don't go around introducing ourselves as that, right? I mean, we may say, hello, I'm Brenda, I'm a Christian. Probably won't say, hello, I'm Brenda, and I'm Abraham's heir. I mean, hands up if you do that. <laughs> so, um, but from Genesis, we know that it's through the offspring of Abraham, and now we know that it's through Jesus, that the nations of the earth, the Gentiles, can become part of God's family. You, most of you sitting here, maybe except for one, and, um, and, 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 and Brenda, you know, we can become part of God's family as Gentiles because of Jesus Christ. We are heirs of Abraham because of Jesus. But you see, for the Jewish Christians, this, something more is needed. 
So they are saying, yeah, you know, you have Jesus, great, wonderful. Now, to be considered a true heir of Abraham, there is one more step. One more step that you have to follow. You have to follow the Jewish law, which means if you are male, you have to be circumcised. After all, Abraham is like the father of circumcision, and he was circumcised at the age of 99. It's like, guys, come on. I mean, you want to join the family? You get circumcised. And, you know, if, if, if what the Jewish Christians um, were promoting, um, you know, it has continued to, to today, what it means is that, you know, um, our brothers here will be circumcised. And, and that after church, we won't be going to places that are non-kosher for lunch. So, Paul, of, I mean, of course, Paul gets really upset here, you know, and very, he was livid. And that explains why his, um, he, well, he was quite expressive, you know, throughout the letter. He's very expressive language. So unlike the Jewish Christians who are rooting for this, Jesus plus Jewish law equals true heir of Abraham. For Paul, it looks like this. Jesus plus nothing. Trust in Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, and you are a true heir of Abraham. Full inclusion in God's family, period. See, because for Paul, if you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what marks you out as a true heir of Abraham. And to add anything else to that is to, in Paul's words, to turn to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So going back to the passage now. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So let's pause here. Why is this thing that the Jewish Christians are promoting so serious that Paul would say that this is a different gospel altogether? In fact, it's not even the gospel. I mean, if you think about it, like, okay, but you have Jesus already. I'm just asking you um, to abstain from pork and maybe to, to stick to some cleanliness um, rituals. What's so wrong with that? What, what is so serious about that that it becomes a non-gospel? So the word gospel means good news. And for Paul and his, um, his contemporaries, their sense of the good news is derived from the Old Testament, especially from the book of Isaiah. And we can see allusions to that throughout all of Paul's writings. But the Bible then did not have the part that we call the New Testament, you know. Um, and so for them, the good news, the gospel can be described in three words. What are the three words? Actually, for us too. Your God reigns. Your God reigns. Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains, at the feet of those who bring good news, who, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. God reigning means the dawning of new creation. It means life instead of death, 
justice instead of injustice. It means reconciliation. No more division. It means flourishing. And it means no more tears one day. And at Community Church, we describe it this way. This is one of our core values, um, to be, to be gospel-centered. And it's really speaking to the reign of God as good news to the world. So the gospel is the proclamation that Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, is the Lord and King of the world. He has broken the dominion of sin and evil over humanity and the world and is bringing redemption and transformation to individuals and every sphere, system, and structure of the world, making all things new. As his church, we are called to proclaim this good news of Jesus, Jesus Christ in every way, the being, speaking, and doing. See, because the gospel has got to do with life and reconciliation and flourishing, this is why Paul is so stirred. You see, the Jewish law serves as the identity marker of Jewishness, of ethnicity. And to say that the Gentile believers have to practice Jewish law to be fully accepted is to say that they have to become culturally Jewish to be included into God's family. It's to say, you have to become like me to be fully included in God's family. See, Jesus came to usher in the new creation, to pull down divisions, to heal society of all the isms. Some of them are racism, nationalism, ethnocentrism. And, to, and, and if Paul allows this different gospel to take root in the Galatian church, it is to reintroduce what is already abolished in Jesus by the back door. It's to reintroduce ethnocentrism. It just means putting one ethnicity above another or putting one culture above another. So if you're not like me, then sorry, um, I can't fully include you. And that is no good news. That's no gospel. And this is an important word for us, for us to reflect on in, in how we not just do church, how we be church, how we are church. Church is not the building. Church is the people. You know, you tell people, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're welcome. But then indirectly and then subconsciously, we, we become church in such a way that uh, we send the message, you're only truly fit if you are culturally similar to me or to whatever culture we're talking about. And so churches can become exclusive, um, most, no, mostly unintentionally. I consider myself very much a third culture person. I can't say kid because I'm not a kid anymore. But I consider myself very much a third culture person. Um, what that means is that I am like this circle and that I, I overlap many circles, but never fully overlapping any one of them. And so that makes me rather sensitive, you know, to minorities, to the dominant culture in different places, um, to the dominant culture in the churches that I've been at. I've lived in many places, Singapore, Australia, the UK, Canada, 
And to a certain extent, and by extension, husband here from California, California, uh, because I used to make many frequent visits there. And, and you know, I, I, I noticed that, um, you know, I, I became very sensitive to those on the fringe of fringes, if there are many subcultures, trying to fit, what, fit into whatever the, the church culture is. And I got, I became very sensitive to that because so many times I found myself on the fringe too, trying to fit in. But this is not to say that, you know, um, we, we lose our uniqueness. That is not that at all. I think it's really just extending and just be, be sensitive to the needs around us, to how we can sometimes uh, unintentionally put up barriers. Um, sometimes it could be the language that we, we speak. Sometimes it could be the way we approach a subject matter. Sometimes it could be the restaurants we, choo we choose to dine at all the time. So there are many subcultures um, out there. And I think God's heart for us is to, to be intentional. It's for us to be intentional about paying attention, to, to look around and go, ah, who might be excluded here? Who is feeling a little bit lonely here? I can go on and on about that, I will, but I will not. I will say more about that later as we work through the letter in the weeks to come. Now I want to move on before, before we run out of time. My eyes are always on the clock. So, so, so the issue for Paul is so serious that Paul says, if anybody should preach a different gospel, let them be under God's curse. And he includes himself in there, even angels, just to make the point. Now, what does he mean by let them be under God's curse? Does that mean that you go, anybody who doesn't agree with me, I go around, I go around cursing them? In Greek, the term is anathema. And this is not an uncommon term, you know, so this, uh, it has been used by churches, uh, the church in history. Um, by individual Christians too. Um, I don't like what you are saying. You are a heretic. I curse you and I condemn you to hell. My, in my opinion, it has been um, quite abuse, misuse and abuse. So here, the point that Paul is making is that a false gospel cannot heal, cannot redeem, and it does not reflect God's reign. It negates the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross. It undermines the work of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation to the world. And therefore, this false gospel cannot continue because it can only bring death and damnation. And so Paul appeals for this gospel and the gospel messenger to be under God's judgment. It is to put a stop to something that will bring death instead of life. And oftentimes that's how God works, right? Even in, in healing and reconciliation and all of that, things that are not um, life-giving have to be stopped. And so 
No, these two verses are not a license to abuse others and to send them to hell. And then Paul turns the attention on himself in the last bit of his thesis statement. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? So, you know, it seems strange, like, okay, I'm talking about the gospel, and then suddenly I'm talking about me. What's going on here? See, because the gospel is under attack, but not only that, Paul is also under attack. And, you know, you want to attack the message, sometimes you attack the person bearing the message, and that can be very effective. Um, and there is evidence to suggest that Paul is accused of being very inconsistent in his approach to circumcision. Sometimes he says, yes, 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 sure. Sometimes he says, no. So people are like, are you trying to please people? But Paul is denying this accusation here because everything that he does, whether it's a yes or no, it is consistent with the gospel. It is to honor God. See, he is not against circumcision per se. What he is against is what circumcision signifies if imposed on the Gentiles wholesale. And later on in the letter, as I said, this is a thesis statement. He will de develop his argument in that area. And he will also defend his apostleship because his apostleship has also been challenged. And that's why we have this last part here in this thesis. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. Very briefly, because Pastor Wade will, uh, will talk about this uh, next week. What he is saying here is that his gospel is not a human gospel, but that it came through a revelation from Jesus Christ, referring, of course, to his encounter with Christ. And most likely also the period that he spends in obscurity, relative obscurity after that. Again, Paul is going to flesh out this, this, this thing in the next section of the letter. So, what can we take away from today's passage? First, Jesus plus nothing equals true heir of Abraham. All it takes to belong to God's family fully is Jesus plus nothing. If you are in a relationship with Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And that is the mark of being true heir of Abraham, a child of God. You don't need anything else. Grace got you there. Even if you are tempted to doubt because, I don't know, maybe like, oh, I haven't been good enough. Remember, you are in Jesus because of grace. And a different gospel is no gospel. The second one. The gospel speaks to God's reign, which means it speaks to redemption. It speaks to healing and justice and flourishing. And to make, to make it anything less or anything more is to turn things away from the trajectory of God's reign. And it is very tempting for all of us to want to make the gospel fit our worldview, to want to make the gospel fit whatever we want the gospel to fit. But, but humility calls for bringing uh, um, whatever it is that we want it to be, to, to, to bear, to, scripture to bear on that. And finally, 
there's real practical implications for church life. The gospel has real practical implications for church life. You know, so Paul has written um, several letters and you know, mostly to um, Christians. He's not writing to non-Christians. He's writing to churches and Christians, um, writing about how they do life together, how believers do life together. How do you love one another? And, you know, when I was struggling a little bit as a minority in some of the churches I've attended, every time someone would, every time someone would, you know, who would reach out to me um, just to close the gap a little bit, just to acknowledge um, my personhood, just to want to get to know me a little bit more, it warms my heart. And so, you know, my, um, I think my, the last thing I will say is that we, the gospel is not an abstract idea. The gospel impacts our everyday life, and rightly so. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you that you came all the way for us. And all we had to do was say yes. Yes to you. Yes to your love. Yes to your embrace. Yes to your forgiveness. Yes to new life. Yes to redemption. Yes to healing. Yes to justice. And we thank you that you are a God who judges. Because with, with that, that's, we, see, we see evil being done away. We are thankful that you're powerful and that in you, good will triumph. And we thank you, God, for brothers and sisters and family. We thank you for church. We thank you for church life. We pray that you will help us love one another deeply, more deeply. We, we pray that you will cause us, our hearts to be stirred when we see that um, maybe some people are not fitting in quite as well. We pray that you will cause our hearts to be generous and to reach out, God, um, to people and to welcome them in, and not just through the door, but really into the community. God, help us to be generous like you. In your most precious name we pray.